The title of the message this morning is Genuine Christianity, Romans 12, 9 to 16. The title of our message really points to the theme of the text, and here's the theme. What are the marks of genuine Christianity? Romans 12, beginning in verse 9 through verse 16, give us those marks of genuine Christianity. The Secret Service recently has been in the news because of an intruder who gained access to the White House. An Iraqi war veteran by the name of Omar Gonzalez managed to scale a White House fence sprint across the lawn of the White House and enter through the unlocked front door before the Secret Service tackled him. Now, what you may not know is that the Secret Service is not only tasked with protecting the President of the United States, but also they are tasked with protecting the currency of the United States. They are the lead agency when it comes to protecting our monetary system from counterfeit money. Now, What you're about to see on the screen is a genuine $100 bill. Look carefully. Most of us rarely get to see that. We'd like to see more of that. On the Secret Service website, one finds an article entitled, Know Your Money, How to Detect Counterfeit Money. Today's message could be subtitled, Know Your Christianity, How to Detect Counterfeit Christianity. Reading from the Secret Service article, Know Your Money, How to Detect Counterfeit Money. The public has a role in maintaining the integrity of of the U.S. currency. You can help guard against the threat from counterfeiters by becoming more familiar with the United States currency. This morning, you can guard against counterfeit Christianity by becoming more familiar with the genuine article. Look at the money you receive. Compare a suspect note with a genuine note of the same denomination and series. Sorry, bud. Look at the money. Whoa, you receive. Compare a suspect note with a genuine note of the same denomination and series, paying attention to the quality and of the printing and the paper characteristics. Today we're going to look at a genuine note in this text of genuine Christianity and look at the quality and characteristics of it. Now, for a $100 bill, this is what they tell you. Look at the portrait. The genuine portrait appears lifelike. It stands out distinctly from the background. The counterfeit portrait is usually lifeless and flat. Look at the Federal Reserve and Treasury seals on either side of the portrait. On a genuine bill, the sawtooth points of the Federal Reserve and Treasury seals are clear, distinct, and sharp. The counterfeit seals, they're uneven, they're blunt or broken sawtooth points. Look at the border of the bill. The fine lines of the border of a genuine bill are clear and unbroken. You guessed it, on the counterfeit The lines on the outer margin are blurred and indistinct. How about the serial numbers? On a genuine serial numbered note, they're distinct in their style. They're evenly spaced. The ink used for the seal is is the same as the ink used for the serial numbers. On a counterfeit bill, just the opposite. The color and shade are not the same between the seal and the serial numbers. And the, the numbers are not uniformly spaced or aligned. And finally, the paper. Genuine currency paper 
has tiny red and blue fibers embedded throughout. Often counterfeiters try to simulate these fibers by printing tiny red and blue lines on their paper. Genuine Christianity is not something you paint on the surface like makeup. It is embedded in the heart and soul and mind of the genuine Christian. This is how chapter 12 began. Paul telling the Christians in Rome, worship God, present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's embedded in our minds, in our hearts, the way that we are, the change that has occurred to us as genuine Christians because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Minds renewed by the gospel, approving the will of God. This gospel is embedded in our minds and hearts. And here in our text in Romans 12, 9 through 16, Paul spells out what that gospel embedded in our hearts and minds produces. He spells out the will of God. He gives us the marks of genuine Christianity. A Christianity minted by God himself through Jesus Christ, the gospel. Embedded in the hearts of genuine Christians, not painted on the surface. Embedded in our hearts. So let's take a look at genuine Christianity, shall we? Let's look at the the genuine note in your Bibles. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, all the way through verse 16. Genuine Christianity. But you know what? Before we look at it, while you're turning there, let's pray. Lord, I ask you to give me utterance by your Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gift of teaching right now. To teach your people. And give the ears of every person listening here or digitally faith to hear. And if they do not know you, may this gospel word spoken by your servant, empowered by your spirit, bring life to their dead souls. Lord, I pray that with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Here in this text, God begins with genuine love as the foundation or the mark of a genuine Christian. What is genuine love? Well, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 John 4, 9 and 10 define genuine love this way. In this is love. The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his own son into the world so that he might live through him. Verse 10, here we go. Here's the genuine note. In this is love, 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Genuine love is minted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the focal point is the cross. Propitiation there means that Jesus' sacrifice took the wrath that we deserved and gave us the favor we did not deserve. That's what that big word propitiation means. The seal Well, let's put it this way. The marks of genuine Christianity are seen in the nail prints on Jesus' hand. Are seen in the wound on Jesus' side. The ink that is embedded in the paper in the souls of genuine Christians is the very blood of Christ poured out for his elect. These are the marks. This is the ink. This is the seal of a genuine Christian. These are the marks of genuine Christianity. And if you're here this morning and and have never seen genuine Christianity, you're here because someone invited you. You're here as one who's somewhat skeptical of Christianity. What's kept you away from the church is a a non-genuine Christianity, what people call a hypocritical Christianity. Stay tuned. Because none of us live these things out perfectly. But these are the things that we, we want to live out. These are the things embedded in us. This is who we are and who we're becoming. And it is real. For one lived this perfectly, Jesus Christ, and then gave his life sacrificially and rose from the dead victoriously and lives today calling us as his followers. You see, this love that began and was minted by Christ's sacrifice This is the love that Christ calls his disciples to show toward one another. Want to know the marks of a true Christian? The mark of a true Christian, it's what Jesus said in John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. Here's the mark. If you have love for one another. Which leads us to the main point of our text this morning. Here it is. Genuine Christians are marked by genuine love. Genuine Christians are marked by genuine love. That's the seal on the genuine note. It's a genuine love. Now this Greek word that is translated love in verse 9. You see it there? Let love. That Greek word is agape. You may be familiar with that word. The first century was not. It was a unique form of the word love that Christians used to describe, firstly, God's love. As a matter of fact, the word agape, the Greek word agape, up until this point in the book of Romans has been used exclusively to describe the love of God. The love poured out into our hearts in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. The love of God demonstrated on the cross in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. The love of God that would never let us go in chapter 8, verses 35 and 39. But now, now Paul uses this word agape to describe the love that we're to have for one another that is the mark of genuine Christians, a genuine Christianity. And look at the Greek, the word genuine there in verse 9. That comes from the Greek word anapukratis. It literally means without hypocrisy. In the first century, Hippocrates were play actors. This is where we get our English word hypocrite. 
Friends, the point is clearly that genuine Christians aren't play actors and the church is not their stage where they play act their little games. Sadly, the world has seen that far too often. No, genuine Christians are marked by genuine love without hypocrisy. Now, let me say something about that. I understand that many are here saying, but Al, I know as I look at this list that you just read, I, don't, I can't live up to a lot of that. Does that make me a hypocrite if I hold these things as values, as principles by which I want to live my life but often fail? And I want to give you the comfort of the gospel. Yes, you can hold them up. And no, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. Because we live our lives by faith in the righteousness of Christ. Not our righteousness. We are not hypocrites if we preach this. I'm not a hypocrite if I preach this this morning when I know very well that I fall short of this. If I acknowledge it. If I say, please forgive me when I fail. It's when we play act as if we didn't fail that we're hypocrites. And that is what the world points out. Actually, very well at times. We have our confidence in Christ's righteousness. Remember, the book of Romans begins with this thematic statement, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, for the righteous shall live by faith. So I live by faith in Christ, trusting his righteousness, particularly in those days when I fail to live out genuine Christianity. But I'm free to confess it. And not try to pretend and play act to be who I'm not, but yet also still have faith that I'm becoming who God says I am in Christ. And as Jim alluded to, one day I'll be glorified with Christ. That's my hope. Which takes me through these days when I often fall short. But friends, we do need to discern the genuine from the counterfeit. And that is exactly what the rest of our passage does. Here in verses 9b through 16, we find the description of genuine love. And remember, genuine Christians are marked by genuine love. So the the genuine note looks like this. This is what defines us. Genuine love. And genuine love is described by, number one, an abhorrence of what is evil and a holding fast to what is good. Point one, abhor what is evil Hold fast to what is good. This word abhor in the Greek has a range of meaning, which includes hate exceedingly. So here's the irony. In order to have genuine love, I must hate. I must hate the right thing. I must hate what is evil. And I must hold fast to what is good. Again, this harkens back to Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the world, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what is the will of God, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's the good here that is spoken of in verse 9b. Number two, a mark of genuine love, a mark of a genuine Christian is one who loves one another with brotherly affection. Now, the Greek word for love there in verse 9 and verse 10, you see that? Love one another. It's not... The, the, the word agape. We translate the word agape love in verse 9. Love must be genuine. But we translate another word love here in verse 10. And it's a word philostorge. That's the word that we translove, translate love here. And that phrase brotherly love, well the Greek word for that is one that you're very familiar with. 
Philadelphia. The city of? Couldn't be further from that, but that's what they were named. What do these two terms have in common? Why did Paul use a different Greek word for love here in verse 10 than the word agape in verse 9? Because what he's trying to say is genuine love, love minted at the cross of Jesus Christ, God's love, is a love that has this, this, this sense of, of a family love. You see, both of these terms describe family relationships. They were used in modern day Greek, in the first century Greek, to describe the love one would have for one's parents. The love one would have for one's siblings. What's the point? A genuine Christian is in a church that is a family that has genuine Christians genuinely loving one another as brothers and sisters who sometimes fight. But they're committed, aren't they? They don't just leave each other. They love parents and sometimes we don't like each other. Moms and dads and teens, but we love each other and we work it through. The church is a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, adopted by our Heavenly Father because of Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice. 10b, another mark of this genuine love is that we outdo one another in showing honor. Look at it there in your text. Love one another, 10a, with brotherly affection, 10b, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, there's two ways you can understand to outdo one another in showing honor. The first is to understand this to mean that genuine Christians count others more significant than themselves. This is a clear reference to what Paul wrote in Philippians 2, 3 and 4, up on the screen. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's one of the meanings of outdoing one another and showing honor. We count others more significant than ourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What better way is there for me to honor you than if I say, you know what, your interests are more important than mine. What would you like to do today? Oh, well, thank you for honoring me today. (laughs) Talk about countercultural. Talk about Romans 12, 2 in action. Don't be conformed to the world. What does the world say? No, no, no. You're the most significant person in your life. Your needs are more significant. Your opinions are more significant. Your will is more significant. The Bible takes that and turns it on its head. The gospel renews my mind. No, I'm not. I'm going to count you more significant. I'm going to look after your interest, not just my own. That. You want to talk about a genuine mark, a genuine seal on the genuine note for genuine Christians? That sets us apart from everyone else. Now, a second way to understand this, this exhortation to show honor, outdo one another in showing honor, is simply this. We recognize and praise others for their accomplishments, and we defer to one another. Either way, it's a mark of genuine love. It's a mark of a genuine Christian. The next mark of a genuine Christian and genuine love, verse 11. These three things in verse 11 go together. Do not be slothful in zeal, comma, be fervent in spirit, comma, serve the Lord. These are one big mark on a genuine note of genuine Christianity. See, genuine Christians are marked by a godly zeal that's produced by the gospel. It's a godly zeal to love one another the way verse 10 says we should love one another with brotherly love, outdoing one another and showing honor. 
And it's a zeal that is set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Almost every commentator that I read says where it says here, fervent in spirit is referring to the Holy Spirit. It's actually referring to the work of the Holy Spirit, which Jim's going to teach on beginning October 26. Go to this class. In setting us aglow with a zeal to love one another. Setting us aglow with a zeal to serve God. One commentator said it this way, Doug Moo in his commentary, Paul is exhorting us to allow the Holy Spirit to set us on fire. That is what is meant by fervent in spirit and then grounded in very real service to the Lord. So we're not just set on fire and swaying back and forth with great feelings or or experiencing sort of these uh, enthusiastic, miraculous gifts. It includes that. It's not either or, but it's not only that. It's grounded in real world service. You know what? Your interests are more important than mine. What would you like to do today? You know what? I'm going to get up super early to serve you because you are more significant than me. That gift of the Holy Spirit is grounded in reality, is it not? And it's beautiful. And the church is built. And people say, wow, that $100 bill, that is a genuine note. That one I'd been looking at, that Christianity I'd been seeing all my life, that selfish kind, that's a counterfeit. Thank you for helping me see the difference. I pray for us as a church to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit, to be aglow with the Holy Spirit, to love one another, to esteem one another as more significant than ourselves, to serve one another, and to outdo one another in showing honor to each other. May the Lord give us this mark of genuine love as genuine Christians in his genuine church. The next mark of genuine love, verse 12. Verse 12, look at it with me. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in truth and prayer. These three go together as well. Jim alluded to them during the offering. Think of this one as the portrait on the $100 bill. This is the face of genuine Christianity. It's the face of hope and patience and prayer. These three are partners. As Jim mentioned, our hope is grounded in the promise of sharing in Christ's glory. But, oh, friends, Scripture teaches us that the pathway to glory runs through tribulation. We are called to suffer on the way to glory. If we suffer with Him, Romans 8, 17... 8.17, write that one down if you're suffering. Romans 8.17, if we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. Romans 8.17, if you want to look in your Bibles just a few chapters back, let me read it to you. And if children, and we are children, then heirs, and we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, comma, it'd be nice if it ended right there, but it doesn't in verse 17, comma, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him him because we have hope we can and should rejoice here is the place where we see jesus the portrait of jesus embedded on our hearts and our minds this is where god comforts us i was reminded of this when i received uh, the facebook post that cal beisner posted after the death of his sister gretchen and he said these words and i quote We do not grieve as the world does with no hope. Classic. We're not to be conformed to the world, but transformed. It doesn't say we don't grieve. It says we don't grieve as the world does without hope. My rejoicing is not mindless, 
but mindful of the hope of the gospel that I have in Christ. This hope in Christ, this hope of the resurrection enables me to be patient in tribulation. What does it look like for you to be patient in tribulation right now? What tribulation or what trials are you presently experiencing? And how is God enabling you to be patient in them? Friends, prayer, the third of this little trinity, is important. It's key. Constant in prayer. Prayer is the means of grace by which God enables us to rejoice in hope and to be patient in tribulation. Let me envision you for the week of prayer and fasting. Let me envision you. As soon as I go home this afternoon, I'm going to post Corey's class today. He taught the class on prayer. The final one was on prayer and fasting, specifically designed to teach you about prayer and fasting. If you've never heard about fasting, you need to listen to this. Go online if you weren't there. And then begin to prepare yourself for the week of October 20th through 24th. And make plans to go to one of those prayer meetings. If you have children, maybe one of you goes on Wednesday night and the other one goes on on Thursday night with the other one staying home with the kids. And let's pray together, church. Let this mark our church as a genuine church that is seeking God, constant in prayer. These three remind me of something that Manolito Fonseca would always say in Cuba. This little triad here of of being... um, patient, of rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. Manolito would always turn to me in Cuba through the 12 years of many, many sufferings and many difficult times. And he would say, Pino, firme, fiel y paciente en el Señor. Pino, firm, faithful and patient in the Lord. Our brothers in Cuba live this verse. It is the mark of the genuine Christianity that does set them apart there. And we must live it here, though our suffering would be far less than theirs. Next, the next mark of genuine Christianity, the next mark of genuine love is in verse 13. Verse 13, look at it. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is, as it were, the serial numbers on the genuine note of genuine Christianity. Numbers. Money. Contributing. This is talking about helping those who are in great need. It's interesting. You see that English word contribute? Well, the Greek word from which we translate contribute is the verbal form of koinonia. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard the term koinonia, fellowship. Well, the Greek word from which we get contribute is taking that noun, koinonia, and making it a verb. So what does that mean? Fellowship. Love and action. Genuine love. Genuine fellowship. Doesn't just talk about it. It does something. Genuine Christians love one another indeed. Generosity in the face of need. Now, many commentators say that when Paul wrote this, he was in Corinth. I believe that. And he was actually in Corinth on his way with a bunch of money to Jerusalem because the saints, the Christians, the believers in Jerusalem were starving to death because there was a famine in Jerusalem. So the Christians in Greece and and in in all these areas had given a a bunch of money to Paul. They received an offering and he was taking that money to the saints in Jerusalem. He may have been alluding to that here, but it's far bigger than that. There's needs in Palm Vista. We have a benevolence fund. Right now, that I know of at least two families are in serious, serious need. And genuine love 
reaches out and helps meet that need. And that's my prayer for us as a church. And not only contribute, but also show hospitality. It's interesting, that word for hospitality there isn't just having friends over for dinner and watching the game. Actually, that's not the meaning here. The meaning here is hospitality to strangers, people you've never seen before in your life. What do you mean by that, Al? Well, particularly in the first century, there were no hotels like we have today. So if you had to travel and you were going through a city and it was nighttime, you began to look for a place to stay. And so what Christians, what marked Christians from non-believers in the first century, is they wouldn't just show hospitality to their friends, hoping they'd get invited back, because her lasagna is just as good as your lechona salo. So we'll just do a, a quid pro quo. I'll invite you over a little hospitality, you invite me over. No, 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 no. The Christians went out into the into the, the to the where at night and they looked for a stranger who needed a place to stay so he wouldn't be robbed and they said come over over to my house that's what paul says when he says here seek to show hospitality as a matter of fact the author of hebrews writes this amazing thing in hebrews 13 2 hebrews 13 13 2 he says to believers do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares yeah that's an interesting one but the idea is that christians are marked by this disinterested love this interested that is in their own good but because they see others as more significant than themselves they willingly sacrifice to serve and show hospitality and contribute next the next mark of genuine love is in verse 14 bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them Oh, friends, these, this is now the borders of the bill. They're not to be fuzzy, but they're to be clear. Paul, who wrote this, persecuted Jesus. Think of the word oppose, if you want to use that word instead of persecute. And when he's on the Damascus Road, Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And what did Jesus do for Paul? He blessed him. He saved him. Paul deserved the wrath of God because Paul was a murderer and instead he got the favor of God because of Christ's sacrifice. And we, friends, before we were believers, opposed God. We persecuted Him. And He had the same attitude toward us, one of blessing us. And so what this text is, we find our comfort in the gospel and then we find this command in the gospel to bless those who persecute, oppose us. Have you found yourself cursing folks who oppose you or the church in your head, maybe? What's your attitude toward them? See, this is is another clear put off and put on. Don't be like the world in this, cursing those who oppose you. But have your mind renewed by the gospel. Bless those who oppose you, those who persecute you. In fact, the most radical example of this teaching is probably the one that Paul was alluding to. It's found in Matthew. Chapter 5, Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, verses 44 and 45. Paul was probably thinking of this when he wrote this. Here's the genuine mark of a genuine Christian, genuine love. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. You can put in there, oppose you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We have a new life and a new way and a new mind embedded in me. I'm no longer the son of the devil. I'm the son of God through Christ. And I love my enemies, those who oppose me. I pray for them. 
For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So how may we pray for those who persecute or oppose us? How may we bless them? Who would that be this day? Who is that for you? Listen, this bless one another day, if you're brand new here, all we are doing is saying this. Pray. This week, last week, and this coming week. Pray how you can do something unexpectedly wonderful, i.e. bless, someone in your life. And some of those people may be people that oppose you. I mean, persecute, come on. In America, what are they going to do to us? But they can't oppose us. They can mock Christianity. They can mock us. They can treat us in a way that's poorly. How can I bless them? How can I put love in action? How can the borders of my Christianity come into sharp relief? By the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next mark of genuine love and genuine Christianity is in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I love what John Stott says. Genuine love never stands aloof from other people's joys or pains. Genuine love never stands aloof from other people's joys and pains. Well, how do we do that? Well, it seems to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I've got to know them pretty well. I've got to be involved in their lives so that we can know when they're rejoicing and when they're weeping. Friends, this is why we do community groups. Because we believe that it helps us to be genuine, to exhibit this kind of genuine love. It was with the Neals just recently in their, in their community group for John's retirement. And, and just because we're just with them physically, we walk into their house one evening to celebrate his retirement, only to hear the news that Tracy's mom is in the hospital. Olivia was in the hospital with high blood pressure. In fact, Tracy is in North Carolina with her mom right now. You wouldn't know that if you're not connected somewhere. Okay, Facebook helps, I got it. But it's not a digital love one another. It's a real love one another. I think of Minerva and her son Juan, or Ivan, who's here, just came here from Spain, and her nephew Luis, who I met a couple of weeks ago. Minerva almost died last week. She had to have radiation for throat cancer, and it so weakened the wall of her carotid artery that she began to bleed out and she was drowning in her own blood. And so several of us knew about it because we know them. It, it, Yvonne was coming to the community group when he was there. Luis says he's going to be coming to the singles meeting at my house next Saturday. And so we're connected. I can, I can weep with them. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do with someone who is weeping is just simply sit down, put your arm around them, and cry with them. They don't need advice right then. They just need someone that will cry with them, empathize with them. And the same with someone who's rejoicing. And the final mark of genuine Christianity in verse 16. Genuine love looks like this. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I believe these all kind of work together in what I called a couple of weeks ago, humble unity. Humble unity. Living in harmony with one another and not being haughty. It kind of seems like a direct word to the Gentiles in the church at Rome that were thinking they were now God's called people and the Jews had been rejected by God because so many Jews had rejected Christ and they were a little haughty. They were a little bit better than those Jews. Yes, that may be true, but it's actually speaking to all of us. We're back to thinking, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We preached that last week. Don't think too highly of yourself. Pride is the foundation of disunity. Humility is the foundation of unity. 
Think of yourself according to the measure of faith that God has given you. This is the key to humility. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of election. The doctrine that God chose you. God gave you everything you have to include your faith. So why are you boasting about it? In fact, there's a scripture in in Corinthians that says, What do you have that you have not been given? Why then do you boast? Here's the application of verse 16. What is our mindset toward others? Toward those who aren't believers? Toward those who oppose us? Toward those who are poorer than we are? Or maybe richer than we are? Those who are different? Is it a mindset renewed by the gospel so that we want to be in harmony with one another? Not haughty. Associating with the lowly. Never being wise in our own sight. See, an overly exalted opinion of ourselves leads us to think that we're always right and others are always wrong and that our opinions matter more than others. And that is not the mark of a genuine note or genuine Christianity, but rather it's the mark of a counterfeit. What's our hope? Our hope is that the blood of Jesus washes us. Embedded in our souls is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is changing us to become who we are in Christ. And that's the appeal, friends. May we display genuine Christianity as we walk by faith in Christ, by faith in Christ, with minds renewed by the gospel. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us great faith this morning as we look at Christ. Oh, Lord, you are the genuine note You are the one who minted this faith by your salvific actions. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Thank you, Father, for sending your son as a propitiation for my sins. He took the wrath I deserve by his bloody sacrifice, giving me the favor I do not deserve, and by his resurrection assured my forgiveness. And I stare at the genuine note. It is a beautiful, beautiful note. It is the note of genuine Christianity. My prayer, Father, is that we all would be encouraged by that genuine note. In our good days and in our bad days. And maybe in particular in our good days. Lest we boast that somehow we did this. That somehow it wasn't given to us first. That somehow we earned this salvation. Never. Forgive us for that pride. That haughtiness. And may we rejoice in the Father's love. And may it produce in us genuine Christianity. Genuine love. And may the world see it. And see Christ. For it is His portrait on that bill. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.